Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 59 edition, we welcome writer and director Joachim Trier and his lead actors Anders Danielson Lee and Renata Reinsve. Their latest film, The Worst Person in the World, is a main slate selection in this year's festival. As proven in such exacting stories of lives on the edge as Reprise and Oslo August 31st, Norwegian director Joachim Trier is singularly adept at giving an invigorating modern twist to classically constructed character portraits. Trier catapults the viewer into the world of his most spellbinding protagonist yet, Julie, played by Cannes Best Actress winner Renata Reinsvith, who's the magnetic center of nearly every scene. After dropping out of pre-med, Julie must find new professional and romantic avenues as she navigates her 20s, juggling emotionally heavy relationships with two very different men. Fluidly told in 12 discrete chapters, Trier's film elegantly depicts the precarity of identity and the mutability of happiness in our runaway contemporary world. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 10th indoors and outdoors throughout New York City, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with director Joachim Trier, Anders Danielson Lee, and Renata Reinsbe. Take home limited edition merch from this year's 59th New York Film Festival. The official NYFF 59 poster, designed by artist Kara Walker, plus original NYFF t-shirts, hats, and more, are now available. Shop online at filmlink.org.merch or during the festival at Alice Tully Hall and the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center. Thank you all for coming. I know it wasn't easy to travel this year, but it's really meaningful to have you all with us. It's a, it's a great pleasure being here. Yes, Thank it really, you. really is. Yeah. Um, I will start by just asking you, Joachim, you gave a beautiful introduction earlier, maybe to expand on a few things that you, you brought up earlier. First of all, the idea of this film is the third part of a trilogy. Um, I hadn't heard you talk about the other two films as belonging to a trilogy before, but uh, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on, on how you see this fitting in with Reprise and Oslo, August 31st? I think at the outset, as I was pointing out, uh, I think we, we discovered it as the script was finished, and I showed it to you guys, that you brought it up, Anders. That's how I remember it. And Eskil and I had, Eskil Fucht, who I co-write with, we sat down early in this process and felt like we wanted to go back to our roots and try to create something with the experience of then having written five films together, something that felt as free uh, in its form as the early work, like Reprise, really. The first, I don't know if any of you have seen this, but like Reprise was a film that was... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So it, it was a film where, which was playing around with a lot of conceptual scenes, voiceover, uh, jumping around in time, being more uh, sort of, I, I called it back then a scrapbook film, as if kind of different types of ideas were allowed to be a movie without being a very, very precise dramaturgical structure, more fragmented. So wanting to go back to that and then discovering through the process that the, the environment, the milieu, the, the, the themes of, of time, memory and identity and, and sense of perhaps feeling lost existentially in lack of a less pretentious word <laughs> were things that arose as we were writing and, and slowly realizing that we were maybe touching base with some of those earlier films. And again, the, the framework of Oslo, the city we were shooting in, you know, and 
it's people often ask me like, okay, you, you shoot in Oslo, tell us something about the city. And and the fact is, I I'm not a sociologist. I can't talk about where I'm from in in words in a way. You know, like the the material of the movies that we make in the cities where we grow up is 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 what it is. It's it's what we show. I, I like to show the, those streets, but I don't know what it means. But it's fun to show it to you in New York because this city has, you know, so many great filmmakers that have really shown different New Yorks to me living in Norway. So, you know, I hope I can contribute the other way a little bit. So, uh, uh, Anders, you're a big part of the first two films of the trilogy, or you've uh, the lead roles in Reprise and, and Oslo. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you see this film fitting in with that. Specifically, I mean, how do you see your character here fitting in with your other two characters that you've played in Joachim's films? Well, it's the first one who doesn't have a mental illness. <laughs> it's a physical illness. But, are you sure? But <laughs> No, I think um, these three films uh, have a lot in common and... Um, you have all these themes of, the, the, you know, the clash between ambitions and reality and what you expect from life and um, uh, how your life turns out to be and how you balance that with the dreams you had. Um, those are, are uh, key uh, themes in, in all of these films. And when I read... Uh, the worst person in the world. I felt that it felt it was almost like a, a mix between reprise and and Oslo. It had the the uh, associative, uh, chaotic, uh, playful structure of reprise and the character portrait of uh, uh, Oslo. And I felt that um, Renata's character Julie had something in common with. My character Anders in Oslo, August 31st, um, even though he, he was a darker figure, but they, they share this, this um, brutal I idealism uh, and, and lack of pragmatism in their lives. Um, so um, I felt that there, there were um, a, lot in, a lot in common between the films. Um, for me, playing this uh, role here, it didn't feel as character-driven or, or uh, character psychology wasn't as important uh, for me um, in this film. I wanted to, to focus much more on, or, uh, on our relationship and, uh, and let my character emerge from, from that relationship. So let's talk about something else you mentioned in the intro about really creating a role for Renata, who was, as we heard, had a small role in Oslo. I should say, I think people know Renata won the Best Actress Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. I think you can see why. Um, Joachim, you, you want to say a bit about this idea of just you know tailoring this film around this actor you wanted to work with, and also the, obviously the other obvious shift is to to a female protagonist, and obviously you and Eskil being being male screenwriters, sort of a, a a different different situation. Well, 
the first so the first part of the question I mean you know the interesting thing was even though you had one line of dialogue because we were obsessed with shooting morning scenes in Oslo and we were uh, Oslo August 31st is is the narrative is, is sort of a day and a night and a morning so you ended up shooting nine mornings with us we were in set nine days for that one line of dialogue <laughs> and I had this feeling of feeling very safe around you as a director yeah, I, your energy is quite remarkable, and and I'm, I'm not talking about like just high energy, but your your way of sustaining the energy in a scene and and keeping those nine mornings becoming one scene is a great talent. Your presence is very, very um, accurate in, in in trying to create a cinematic scene out of these moments. So, I was really eager to do something with you, and and then there was this feeling that you did great theater work, but sometimes when people cast you in TV shows or smaller parts, you didn't really get the leads, and, and it was puzzling to me. So that kind of created this, I, I really, I was rooting for Renata, as it, kind of we became friends as well along the way, and, and like, why don't anyone give you a lead part? You're so remarkable, you know, as an actor. And so anyway, so that was kind of a luxury to, to land that focus when we started this project. And then your question about uh, men writing women, I, I guess a lot of of the male and female directors and writers that I look up to have written different genders than what they are and different ages and different types. And I, I think it's important in art to allow ourselves to, to find that strange place between ourselves and a character that is not ourselves. And, and, and it feels very liberating somehow to, to be allowed to write in that space. And uh, one aspect of your character is female, but there's, just humanity to a lot of the the questions that I think Julie asks herself, and and I, in a way I, I I relate a lot to that character. I can also relate a lot to the character that Anders plays, and a lot to Herbert who plays Ivan, <laughs> and so I'm sure Eskel does as well. And I guess it's not up to us to to judge whether we have been successful in creating truth in these characters. But I I don't sit in in the room and and ask myself intellectual questions about like. I got to be really f firm on doing this correct thing with this or that character because of age or gender or anything like that. It's it's something that happens in the process of developing it. And then also the actors come in and, and you guys helped out a lot in trying to create these characters. I, I don't know, Renat, if you want to talk a little bit about that process of how we worked. Yeah, I I, um, I remember like we both being really nervous about me reading the script. And uh, just because you you wrote it for me, so it was like high stakes. If I didn't like connect to the the script, it would be like really bad. <laughs> uh, but I of course did. Like she's uh, so yeah, an amazing character. And uh, but yeah, I was also just nervous about the. I also thought about what you said, like two men writing the female character, but. It was just so, I was so moved, it was so accurate. Uh, I felt so close to her at once. And then she was kind of ready when we started rehearsing, but uh, it's of course like a collaboration. I, But I think that the most important thing with this process is that it you make the whole, uh, the whole group, like the cast and the crew, it, it's so collective, it's like we're so together in it. So it didn't feel like it was me doing the role like it felt like it was always us on set doing it the scene together like uh, the the chemistry between us would would be what it was 
you know, it wasn't uh, me doing it, kind of. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of vague, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm. I wanted to ask you to, I mean, it's a film that is, you know, just, I, I love that it, it has something in common with Reprise and that I think it's a film that tries so many things. It's a film that, you know, has just so many ideas that, like, it's 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 trying out different forms and, there are two, a couple of things I wanted you to maybe flesh out a bit for us. One is the, the that that little that little set piece where 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 time stops. Can you talk a little bit about that? It, I guess that's me being really childish, but I always like this notion <laughs> that you could be very literal in film sometimes and then create something different than the expected. So, I I I don't know if any of you have ever been in the situation where you're with someone that you love, but you also see that someone else exists in the world that you might find interesting, and the idea that time is not on your side because you have to, you know, you wish you could freeze everything, and leave your life and live in an alternate universe for a moment just to try it out, and then go back. And I think that's a very romantic fantasy, and I think it's in alliance with Julie's character 100%. That's who she is. She's that kind of imaginative character. So. I wanted to just do that literally and, and, and create that sequence. And the funny thing, uh, uh, you know, um, we actually didn't want it to be this kind of um, CGI digital slick scene. I wanted it to feel like there were human beings almost waiting for her to run through the city. And I remember in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> all of Chicago was dancing when Ferris was singing Twist and Shout, and you don't really know... What, is it true or is it not? Is it fantasy? You know, I, I, I love that sequence as a kid and it felt like the whole city was celebrating his kind of worship of the Beatles or something. And I, So what we did was we just asked a lot of people in Oslo to come and join us and to create the scene. And during COVID, you know, it was actually a really lovely day on set that everyone was allowed to be together in these great areas where we'd all been isolated. And yeah, no, it was fun to make. I never know what references to expect from you, but that was a good. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, maybe Renata, you can weigh in on this too, is this that extended party scene, which is you know this sort of epic flirtation that's yeah. extended, and you know it's just it's so important to the film that 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 section. Yeah, what's your question? Just tell me what it was like to make. I to agree. <laughs> Where it sits in the film, like, you know, Joachim talk about writing that and Renata about performing that with your... No, it's friend. again a childish idea, I'm afraid, you know, like, <laughs> what is allowed outside the construct of, uh, of monogamy? Um, yeah, what can we say about that? I think, I think the whole, that whole part of the movie is very much driven by how you and Herbert are really creating a special sort of vibe. And and it was it was risky. I mean, it could have been kind of silly, but I it's, think yeah, it was very important to like open up to that those feelings, kind of, and of course that's scary, like intimacy with someone. But I think that was the the key of it all. Yeah. So Herbert's not here, unfortunately, but we should say a little bit about uh, I, he's also I think for most American film audiences like a new a new face and yeah, another person you've you went to theater school with him. Yeah. yeah. How, how, I mean, I think he's, he's just a really great comedic actor, and now he's yeah. shown that he's a great dramatic actor as well. In a yeah. way. Not that those things are, you know, a dichotomy. It's a, it's a fake con construct. But 
I learned a lot from working with him about physical, you know, he's, he's, he can do funny things. He can move around and so can you. You, know, like you guys have something very comedic that you play around with. So when I, I, I was kind of thinking, oh, I want to make a kind of a romantic comedy in parts of this film at least, you know, like the moment when he comes back into the bookstore and says, you know, I can't stop thinking about you and pretends he forgot his glasses and then he did and all that stuff we were saying you know that you know we want we want it to be that romantic comedy but I, I haven't worked with that type of of material before and i think you guys helped me out with that a lot yeah we're so sad inside everything is funny like that's isn't that when you're <laughs> and then you kill me at the end <laughs> yeah. as, as usual well you know it would be a disappointment if i didn't anders it's what we do together. you have a thing stop it tradition but okay i'm going to ask one more question i'm going to throw it to anders before we take maybe an audience question or two so i don't know if everybody knows here but a lot of actors had kind of slow you know like sort of pandemics and lockdowns and not being able to work but i people anders you're a you're a full-time practicing physician as well as an actor so can you tell us i guess some people did not know that it's true it's true Ooh. that's a, a a sound i've never heard before <laughs> Can you do that again? <laughs> okay, what's the past 18 months been like for you? Uh, it's been um, uh, something else than shooting a movie, obviously. Uh, no, it's been, uh, you know, I'm a trained physician, so it's nothing uh, uh, unusual for me. The only thing that is unusual is that we've been uh, rigging a vaccination center and... Um, yeah, so that that's unusual, but I'm used to practicing as a doctor, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take, uh, I'm going to wrap up something, but I'm going to take two quick audience questions. Um, so if you raise your hand, if you could maybe um, project and also keep it concise so I can repeat it right there. Yep. Thought, thought process behind the mushroom scene and how it fits into, I don't know, psychedelics on film. No, it's, it's, it's a very... Um, I try to come up with concepts when we write that can access the mind of the character sometimes, you know, very literally, whether it's a... In the past, I've, I've done a lot of uh, stream of consciousness montage scenes or like the romantic fantasy we just spoke about with time freezing. But the mushroom scene here um, is certainly like that, you know, it's trying to access... So it's very character-driven, the way I think about it. I'm not that concerned with exploring the use of psychedelic, you know, drugs. I, I, I don't really care that much about that, but it's a, it's a wonderful, and, and also cinematic tradition, you know, and now comes, in, you, you thought I was going to talk about Eric Romer today and, and George Cukor and, you know, Antonioni, but I want to talk about Cheech and Chung. That's, <laughs> I want, <laughs> no, but honestly, I, I'm, I'm curious um, about the possibilities in cinema to show uh, memory and fantasy and these things and obviously I, I also wanted to just have this standoff be between her and her father you know I just thought that was great it was fun to write it was it was tough but it was good to shoot as well I think do you want to say something about that I think well, I think was, you're very brave about much that longer and it was it's a lot of parts of it that I it's a shame it's gone but it's yeah it was 
a lot of fun. It was also a little bit of a pastiche of Eight and a Half by Fellini. So here we go. It's a bit of serious cinema. So, uh, you know, it's a classical kind of thing that you have the male fantasy of all the, the women in the life of the, the director and all. So I want to kind of do a reverse version of that where all the ex-boyfriends <laughs> of Julie kind of appears. and, and it, But, but it, how it turned out, a lot of that was lost and it was more focused on the idea of self and body and the father and that stuff. Yeah. All right, one more quick question. Yeah, standing up. Yes, you. Yep. <laughs> I think everybody heard that. It's a, it's a life advice question. Oh, but thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your compliment. I'm 47. Therapy? I'm f <laughs> <laughs> I'm 47, and I still I'm still confused sometimes. You know, I I, I it's funny because people ask me about this these films that we've been making together and as sort of life stages, uh, crises. And I think life can potentially, I'm afraid, be a long series of those. You know, yeah, I had like I I talked to a journalist who's, who he was like 60, and he was like, "This is me." I am still, I can't figure out what to do. Like, I think, I think it's easiest just to accept that it's going to be a chaos but, from but, now on. <laughs> but, I, but I think before, I, we should let Anders speak. He'll probably say something actually useful. From a doctor's point but, of view. But, 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 oh but my before, God. before oh my the God. doctor speaks, well, I just want to say, I mean, a lot I, of I'm totally confused because I'm not able to choose between uh, uh, being a doctor and an actor. So... Uh, I should not give you any advice whatsoever. I'm sorry, very sorry about that. Okay, I think that's a good place to end, actually. So, um, thank you, Joachim, Renate, and Anders. Thanks so much. Thank you all.